So one of the early church fathers, uh, John Chrysostom, who's a, a, a great preacher of the early church, he once said, nothing can destroy you but yourself. How's that for a lovely morning pickup call, right? Like, <laughs> nothing can, can not pickup call, uh, what am I trying to say? No, okay, I'll just carry on. I'm not, okay, I'm tripping myself up. Let me start over. John Chrysostom once said <laughs> that nothing can destroy you but yourself. Here, case in point, living, <laughs> living illustration here. So what, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that the greatest danger that we face in this world is our own sinful selves. Yes, there are things like the, the brokenness of the world, uh, the, the, the fickleness and the brokenness of our own bodies, the flesh, and there's also the threats, the temptations of the devil. But ultimately, and all of these have a part to play in our experiences of brokenness in this world, but ultimately, I myself am to blame for the sin in my own life. John also preached, though, a ray of hope. He says that the one who can save us, I know who he is. He is the Lord, the God of mercy and of love. Well, I love the, the Bible passages that we had this morning because they all resound with this, this common chorus, this common proclamation of the gospel, that ours is a God who rescues men, women, and children from the depths, from despair, from that, those self-destructive patterns that we all have. He rescues us from that and seats us at his table in the fellowship of his people. We hear this in uh, the gospel passage when Jesus goes to the banks of the sea and, and calls uh, people out of it and, and commissions them and gives them a purpose. We also hear this in the Jeremiah passage when through the prophet, God calls to his people and says, return to me, return to me. That word for return in the Hebrew can also be translated as restore or repent. This is a, a gospel call that we hear from the Lord. But today I want us to focus on Psalm 130. This is a beautiful passage. Um, I, I hope that the, the Spirit even uh, was just capturing your imagination as it was read this morning and as we uh, antiphonally re responded back um, portions of it this morning. What I love about this is that the whole thing presents to us the arc of the gospel. And you can see that it's split into four different stanzas there. And I believe that this psalm is inviting us to slow down and to contemplate various aspects of the gospel, like a, like a fine jewel that we're, that we're spinning and getting different perspectives on as, as, as the light hits it and refracts out and, and we're able to ponder all the beauty of the gospel uh, through this beautiful passage. This psalm is a song of ascents. Uh, which means that it's one of the many psalms that the Jews would sing on their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was, was a high up city, and so literally they were going from, from the low places of the country up into uh, the high place of Jerusalem, that holy city. And you can see this throughout the psalm, right? It begins in the depths. It goes to the gates of the city. And then it anticipates an encounter with the heaven, the God of heaven. So do you see here that sort of upward projection of this psalm? So like I said, it, it has four stanzas to it. You could say these are four movements, uh, four, four parts of a symphony uh, that we hear in this psalm. And we're gonna blitz through this. Um, part of me wishes that maybe we would have chopped this up into a four-part sermon series. Um, this won't be uh, the duration of four sermons, uh, I promise. Uh, but we're gonna fly through this at a high level pretty quickly. 
Um, but each of these stanzas, I believe, really deserve to be plumbed deeper. So I hope that as you um, meditate on this passage throughout this week, that um, it will bless you and that the Spirit will stir up um, additional insights that you might have with this passage. But I believe that this is for gospel movements, drawing us into closer intimacy with the Lord God. So, Another thing before I, I dive into this passage. Today uh, is also a special day for our church because we're welcoming new members. Uh, we added this kind of at the last minute to the calendar and there's 24 people who signed up to be members today. Um, I thought maybe like three or four would sign up. So this is really just super exciting. Well, one of the things that we ask members to do is to commit to the five values of the church. And so I also thought it would be fun to, because there's already a lot going on in this passage, why not add more to it, right? Um, I thought it would be fun to point out places where I think I see our church's five values um, at work in, in this. Um, and the reason why is because these values that our church have, these aren't just you know, cute spiritual words that we tag on to the website uh, to kind of appear to be spiritual or whatever. These are values here that, that are rooted in the gospel. And they invite each of us to, uh, into greater depths of understanding and devotion of the gospel and, and the Lord uh, who achieves these things for us. Uh, so these values really do, um, I hope, form us as a community and, and us as individuals in our walk with the Lord. So may we spiritually journal, uh, journey with these ancient pilgrims as we explore these, these different stages of the gospel at work in our lives. Because friends, restoration is a church that is built on the good news of Jesus Christ. That God, through Christ, is reconciling the world back to himself. So let us move through this. So first, in the first couple of verses, in that first stanza, we, we hear the pilgrim cry out, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Now, a couple of things about this. He's calling out from the depths it's not calling, he's not calling out from the shallow places of just uh, self-pity or distraction. No, he's in the depths of despair. The water is, is coming in over his head. He's thrashing about. He's, he's pushing against the waves. He's, he's reaching out for a branch or something solid that he can hold, take hold of. Do you resonate with that? Have you ever experienced a moment like that in your life where, where things are just, you feel completely disoriented or, or you feel like the chaos of this world is just creeping up and up and up and you're about to succumb to it? That's where we all have been at some point and, or we will be at some point. But who does he cry out to in that moment? Not only is this a reality check for himself and, and a reality check of, of his certain context, but he's also reminded of the reality of the God who he serves. He calls out to the Lord. Notice there in your passage that it's, it's printed in all caps. Uh, that's, that's the Bible's way of saying that, that this is the holy name of God, that covenantal name that, that God gave to his people when he was also giving them, presenting them with his deep promises. This is Yahweh, the God who rescues his people from the house of slavery and puts them into the house of promise, the house of freedom and abundance. This is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God who rescues. So in this first movement, I, I think this is a, a, a statement of identity, isn't it? Where he's coming to terms with his own identity, his own um, uh, status as someone who's helpless, who's floundering, but he's also recognizing the identity of God, that he is bound, that God has bound himself to humanity, and that he is the one who promises to rescue us. 
So what do we see in the second stanza here, in this second movement? Well, here we hear him say, he says, Lord, who could stand, who, uh, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand in front of you? Do you hear the guilt that's in his voice? I think now we're starting to get a little bit more understanding into why he feels the, this despair that he's in. And it's because of his iniquities. It's, it's because of his, his sinfulness. He, he knows that he's never going to measure up to, to the holy standards of God. And so he cries out. He says, because of my iniquities, my, my trespasses, my rebellion, I'm, I'm floundering. In other words, what he's recognizing here in this moment is that if he's going to experience any sort of way out of this situation, if he's going to uh, figure out any sort of like, sense of healing in his relationship with the Lord, it has to come outside of himself. It has to come from God himself. And this is what, where we see this magnificent pivot point in the psalm. There in verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness. There's this great interruption. The, the word but, it, it, it stops him in his, in his thinking, in his despair, and it, and it turns his attention to the works and the promises of God. He says, I am rooted in your word. In your word, I place my hope, the pilgrim says. He's specifically talking about the promises that he's heard before. Promises like, I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Promises like, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your transgressions from you. And notice he states this as if it's a fact. I mean, look at the, the confidence that he has and the character and the promises of God. He says, with you, there is forgiveness. So it might be weird that after he says that, he comments on the, the fear of God. You know, biblically speaking, uh, fear is this, it's this right reverence that he has towards a beautiful and true God. It's a, it's a right reverence he has, and, and, and this is the way that he's honoring that relationship. So this isn't a, a fear of, of terror. It's, it's a fear of overwhelming awe because he's recognizing that the forgiveness and the love that God offers is bigger than his sin, is bigger than his brokenness. There's, there's nothing in his life that he's done. There's, there's no despair that's too daunting for this holy and, and beautiful and all-loving God. And so the psalmist, the pilgrim, is just in awe of this. He says, I am in fear of you. And sometimes that's the only response that we can have when we encounter the power and the beauty of God, right? So in this second movement, we, we see both a confession of guilt, we see a, an assurance of forgiveness. So I think it's, what you could say is that this is a movement of reconciliation. We're coming face to face with the fact that, that God is one who reconciles us back into relationship with himself. Praise be to God. Now, this third, in this third movement, in verses five and six, I love this because here is where the tone shifts. His attention now shifts. He knows that he's been received and accepted by God purely by the grace and the, and the work and the promises of God. And so now he wants to experience the depths of God. He wants to, he wants to encounter God. And so what do we see here? He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. There's now this, this humble confidence that he has, knowing that he has been redeemed by God, right? My soul waits. So our language, in our language today, when we use the word soul, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I typically think of just that innermost part of me. 
Uh, I had a mentor in my life who, uh, speaking of the fear of God, this man put the fear of God in me. He said uh, every time, not every time, but a lot of times uh, when I saw him, he would say, Rick, how is your soul? And I felt like he was looking into my soul. Um, it was very scary. But it, biblically speaking, yes, that is a part of this. Uh, yes, the psalmist is speaking from the depths of his soul. My soul waits for you. But biblically speaking, the, he, he's speaking of his, about his whole entirety of his being. Heart, mind, soul, body. He's saying with all that I am, with, with the wholeness of who I am, I am waiting for the Lord. And so what he's doing here is he's, he's thinking about ways in which, his recon, in which the reconciliation that he's just experienced might be um, experienced with, with all that he is with the wholeness of who he is. He wants to experience God, the wholeness of, of God's gospel in every aspect and corner of his life. I'm intentionally using the word wholeness because that's one of our values. Did I say the values? Reconciliation, hospitality, wholeness, contemplation, and mission. So, what else do we see in this? Well, notice that the psalmist, he repeats himself. He says again, my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. I love the silence that's implied in this. I love the repetition that he's, that he's um, engaging in here. In other words, he's, he's slowing down and he's waiting for the Lord. He's envisioning himself on the gates of a city, which is a, a place of protection, right? It's, it's, it's that boundary between the chaos and the darkness of the world and the order and the peace of the city. And the watchman's responsibility is to make sure that that, that chaos doesn't infringe upon the city. And what's he doing? He's waiting for the presence of the Lord. He's waiting for the sun to rise up and illuminate him and, and, and his city so that he can um, more easily defend against the dangers of the night, the, the threats that might exist against his precious city. Um, in our living room, uh, if you've been over to our home for a newcomer dinner, you know this. Uh, if you haven't, you're invited to come to our home for a newcomer dinner. Uh, but we have these, these large windows, uh, and it's it's really fun to watch the sunrise come up. I wish I did it more often in that room, um, but it's really beautiful to see the sunrise come up. And in our windows, uh, we have these glass clear prisms. And so when the sun rises and it peeks over those, uh, the homes that are there and then starts breaking through the trees that are there and illuminating our living room, the light hits those prisms and just gets refracted all over the room, putting these little rainbows on the wall everywhere and then our I'll go on a little bit more and then I'll stop. But, and then our toddler, John, he'll, he'll kind of chase those rainbows on the wall and kind of pat them like a cat or something. It's really cute. Um, my point is that there's joy that comes with this illumination. There's warmth that comes with this. And this is what the psalmist is anticipating. He knows that in light of all of the, the love and the goodness that he's experienced, the forgiveness that he's experienced from the Lord, that there's warmth to behold that there's beauty to behold, things that surprise him and delight him, uh, that give him great joy in this life. This is not only a movement of, of wholeness where he wants to worship the Lord with all of his being, but this is a movement of contemplation where he's slowing himself down and pausing, and he's allowing himself to be surprised by the presence of the Lord as he waits for him. So what do we see in this fourth movement? So here, we see the pilgrim's gaze now shift outward. He turns to those who he's walking with, his neighbors, his friends, his family members. I wonder what those relationships might be like. Surely not everyone was delighted to be forced out of their home and go to, to, to worship at the temple. 
Maybe there's some family members who are resentful of that decision uh, that was made on their behalf. Um, maybe there's some relationships there that, that need to be healed, uh, that need to be fixed. But what does our pilgrim say? He turns to his, his fellow countrymen and he says, Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. In other words, he's, he's opening his heart. He's, he's taking this, this act of hospitality by opening up his heart and sharing with them the good things that the Lord has done for him. He's now inviting his neighbors into that action, into that, that joy that he's experienced. And he says, with the Lord, there is faithful forever love. There's steadfast love. And with him, there is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption, abundant redemption, abundant grace. With the Lord, his, his promises are new every morning. It's just, it's just seeping out and pouring out upon us. In effect, he's saying, my brothers and sisters, I have found a way out of the depths. Or perhaps more accurately, a way out of the depths has found me. I have now been brought out of the depths. Would you please join me in experiencing the beauty and the restoration of God Almighty? So, as you consider these four movements, the movements of identity and the depths and of God and the movement of reconciliation and then the movement of, of contemplation and wholeness and then the movement of hospitality and mission, where do you see yourself in these movements? Maybe it's in the depths. Maybe that's where you feel like you are right now. Maybe you also are overwhelmed by the turbulent storms of this world, not knowing what the way out is. Please cry out to the Lord. Please cry out to him. He hears you and he will rescue you. Maybe you see yourself in that second movement, right? Where guilt is consuming you and you need to be reminded afresh of the powerful forgiveness that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist could only dream and wonder about what that forgiveness might look like. We, brothers and sisters, know the story. We know that upon the cross, Jesus Christ has atoned for the sin of the world and that it is finished. And that through him, we have the complete redemption. We have plentiful redemption, don't we, brothers and sisters? Like what a beautiful treasure that we have access to. But perhaps you need to be reminded again of that. Maybe there's guilt that's sort of coming back from the depths and sort of trying to pull you back. And you need to be reminded of the cross of Christ and the power that we have there. Or maybe you're in that third season that sweet movement, right, where you're, you're just simply waiting to encounter the beauty of God, that you have this holy anticipation that he will meet you. And so in that, you're, you're stirred into greater depths of appreciating, uh, reading his, his stories of his redemption in the Holy Scriptures, and you're meeting the Lord there and experiencing him there. Or maybe it's just by your, your, your personal devotion to the Lord and your, your quiet times with him. Maybe you're in that third season or maybe it's that fourth movement, right, where you feel compelled to focus your attention on your neighbors or your friends or your loved ones, and you wish that, that they would know the, the joy that you have, that they would know that plentiful redemption that you have. Maybe that's what's heavy on your heart now. So please know, friends, that you don't have to hold these things by yourself, and especially the joys. Like, please share that with us. Um, I invite you, like, here at Restoration because to, to share these things because all of these are a part of experiencing the gospel of Christ. And we need to be a community that is constantly bearing testimony of the gospel of Christ being applied to all aspects of our life in greater and greater depths, right? Well, a second question that I have for you. What might God be calling you into? Maybe as you hear each, each of these movements, there's, there's one that you, 
you feel like has been elusive to you your whole life. And you, wanna, you, you want to know that more. What might that be here? Maybe it's that, that desire for, for greater silence and contemplation in your life. Maybe it's to be um, formed by more purpose and mission, and you want to engage more in, in the work and the mission of Christ. Well, friends, again, may you hear an invitation here to, to go deeper into these things. I think especially as, as an American church that we, we feel very comfortable in that uh, sort of the first half of this psalm, right? Like we love telling the story of, of, of God's redemption upon the cross, and that is good, and we should never stop doing that. Don't hear me. But sometimes we stop there, and we, and we feel inhibited or, or blocked from, from believing that God actually wants to, to move us into greater depth and maturity with him. And so we hesitate entering into those quiet places, or we hesitate making those missional risks. So how can we, as a community of believers, as, as this church becomes more stable and established, how can we as a community go into those places together? May it be so. May we as a community always be, be trying to... Um, trying to investigate the depths of the gospel and see how God might continually be calling us into greater depths of who he is and his mission to reach and save the lost. Because this is what he does, right? He is the Lord of mission. He is the one who, who, was in the, who left the comforts of the throne room of heaven and he descended down into the depths and he reached down and he grabbed a hold of us and he pulled us up and he invites us, and he, he invites us to come forward into, into knowing him more clearly, to be unshackled from the, sh- the sin and, and the guilt and the shame that can hold us back. He wants us to experience these beautiful depths of him, full of purpose and mission and peace and grace, full of plentiful redemption. So may we pursue this. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, you are not afraid of us. You are not afraid of the depths, Lord Jesus. You're not afraid of the chaos, but you descend into it, Lord. You meet us right where we're at because with you there is forgiveness. You wash us, Lord. You, you cleanse us and you, you seat us, Lord, in the company of your people with other brothers and sisters who can bear testimony to the goodness of your grace. Lord, may we never lose sight of that. Lord, I pray that you would give us a renewed vision of, of pursuing you in the quiet places, Lord, of, of pursuing your beauty and the, and the riches of your love, Lord. And not just for our own sake, but for those who don't know you, God. Because your, you love the entire world and you desire to see all saved. May it be so, Lord Christ. In your name and for your glory. Amen.